everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with the best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. We're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Conference, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We're going to do a little mini-conference here in November. It's going to be online. I'm going to be teaching some classes, I believe. Now, they won't be pitching, but there's going to be lots of cool classes. A quick little weekend thing. Ah, It'll be a lot of fun. So if you want to sign up for that, go head on over to pnwa.org. It's the end of conference season. I do like to teach at conferences, and it was great to be back in front of people. Oh, man. Man, did I miss that. Oh, it's good. So I hope you got to attend some. If you didn't do it this year, uh, I recommend it next year. They're just great. So listen, about today's uh, today's interview uh, show is with Brooke Seam was written a memoir about getting off of antidepressants and how what torture that was for her. And I guess I should offer what's, this, I guess, I hate to use the term, but trigger warning, but Look, we talk about medication, and I'm not a huge fan of it. I've never used it. Uh, Brooke had to deal with it, and she's kind of an advocate for people dealing with their depression without it. But I know that there are people who take uh, antidepressants and really swear by it. And so, you know, you got to do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And so I only mention it because if you feel very strongly in favor, you might have some problems with this show. And I don't want to tell you what to do. Brooke doesn't want to tell you what to do, but we are in agreement about sort of how to work with our mind to deal with anxiety and depression. So I just thought that'd be a fair warning. But that said, uh, Brooke's debut memoir, May Cause Side Effects, was published in September 2022 to just this September and was named one of Good Morning America's most anticipated reads. Her work on antidepressant withdrawal has appeared in the Washington Post, the New York Post, Psychology Today, Insider, Mad in America, the Washington Examiner, and more. She is also a Food Network Chopped champion. That's right. And author of the newsletter, Happiness is a Skill. And so, yeah, we had a great conversation about a lot of things that had nothing to do with antidepressants, just about writing too, of course. And I'm glad I get to share that with you now. Enjoy. Yeah, look who it is. It's Brooke Seam. Brooke, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Ah. Uh, I'm good. You got to be feeling pretty good. This is your this is your second book, right? You have a cookbook, correct? Yeah. This is a very different kind of book. There yeah. it is. May cause side effects. It's a memoir. Um, it's been out month and a half now. Is that about that? Yeah, and I'm noticing you had the ARC, which was a little different. There were actually some structural changes that we oh. made in between, but oh well, it just it, got better. It read <laughs> very easily. Uh, it didn't <laughs> affect the reading of it. Um, yeah, so let's, let's actually talk, talk about the subject. This is one that is closer to my heart than you might have known. I, mm -hmm. not that I've ever taken medication, but I wrote a piece for New York times once called no one is broken based on my relationship, raising a kid on the spectrum. And I really feel very strongly about that point of view about what a human being is. And it seemed like that overlap with the nature of this book, which is about your uh, well, your journey to get off of prescription uh, medication, uh, 
uh, depression medication specifically. And it seemed to me reading your, and it was and really, it's a lovely book. I hope you're proud of this thing because you did a great job. It's a really well done. Um, but it did seem to me that something I've always felt about the medication, which is it's difficult. I don't know how you take it and not feel like you're fixing or just propping up a broken thing. Does that make sense? Oh, that's exactly how I felt for like 15 years. And because it's so baked into our culture that, you know, these drugs, these antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs are as innocuous as taking an Advil for a headache. Yeah. You, people really think that they are being fixed. And if you are being fixed, then by definition, you are also broken. broken. Right. right. And I, I think we're seeing that play out in a very, very public broken society. Like people aren't doing well. And I, I feel like if uh, these drugs were working, we'd have better outcomes because well, we've had decades of decades of trying now. <laughs> yeah. And you were prescribed as a teen, and I guess you were part of a generation um, where that was done pretty frequently. You know, I was hearing about it because I'm older than you are. I am. But uh, I knew it was going on in my, and both my kids were recommended at one point. And I was like, eh, eh, I don't yeah. think, you know, I just didn't want to go that route. And so, but the circumstances under which you prescribed seemed to me insane that, mm -hmm. that they went there. But maybe you can describe that for the listeners. Yeah. So it was 2001. And I do think that context matters because Prozac had only been on the market for a few years. And really? it was oh, wow. really it's that new. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was really growing in, uh, throughout the 90s as this miracle pill. That's when it showed up on Time magazine, as, right. you know, like the savior and all that jazz. But right around the time that I was 15 years old, that's when my dad died. And so it just was kind of a natural thing. He died. And then obviously that changes how a 15 year old is. So I was taken to a psychologist who recommended a psychiatrist who said, well, there are these things now and, you know, we think they're safe for kids. So here you go. And it was really early on in the process of medicating children. I mean, I, it's funny, the two drugs I was on uh, weren't even approved for children and still aren't. Wow. And yet I was given them 15 or more than 15 years ago now Wow. in 2001. And there was really no thought of any consequences and there was no research. And that was even still the case a couple of years ago. And it's really only been in the past like one to two years where a lot of pushback is starting to happen. And even the researchers are saying, wait a second, this is, this is not going well. This is a bad right. idea. So it was a very different landscape. Yeah. And of course it's, it was really odd because you were clearly grieving. I mean, you had other issues, you had like eating stuff and, you know, but teenagers, you're a teenager yeah. who's dealing with stuff. Yeah. And most teenagers are, a lot of teenagers are depressed, I think. I think there's a, there's a fair amount of just sort of despair and uncertainty and confusion. Yeah. And you were grieving. I mean, it sounded like, and it really, your death of your father really hit you and your mother very hard. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like an odd, like, instead of helping you learn to deal with grief which on some level always have you'll always loss is always going to come up in your life in some form or another mm -hmm. you just they just took the past it so all right so you spent 15 years right 15 yeah. years on this stuff yeah unbelievable and so talk about the moment you said what would i be without it yeah well it's, right. it's the opening scene of the book because yeah. <laughs> i i had to very very slowly, very kind of nonchalantly started to descend into this, you know, place of suicidal ideation. And it was really unremarkable in the sense that 
it was not a dramatic thing for me. You know, it wasn't like I'd been acting out for right. weeks or years and people were concerned. It was just more of this kind of insidious thought that had crept in. And then one day I found myself, I lived in Manhattan. I lived on the 30th floor. I had dislodged the screen from my apartment window and like stuck myself out. And I was just like looking at traffic patterns and the sidewalk, just trying to see how often a break occurred. And like, it just occurred to me that I was, it finally occurred to me like what I was doing. I mean, I sort right. of knew, but it really hit me. And at the same time, I also started to realize, wait a second, like I'm about to be 30 years old, which means my dad has been gone for 15 years. It means I've been on these drugs for 15 years. It means if I keep going down this path and nothing changes, I will have spent more than half of my life without my father and on these drugs. And I'm not at a single unmedicated moment. And also I never made the choice to go on these drugs in the first place. It was uh, like, it was like the light just turned on in one moment. And I kind of pushed myself back in the window and I said, huh. And then the rest of the book, you know, unfolds. I, right. Yeah. It was, ha- it was kind of, ha- it was kind of a, sort of like getting off heroin in a way from what I understand having never done either, but it sounded like it was kind of hellish for you. I have not gotten off heroin myself, but um, I, I have uh, in, in all my research and then also personal experience and talking to people who actually have withdrawn from heroin or meth, uh, the withdrawal symptoms are very, they can be very similar. There's a lot yeah. of physical symptoms that are very similar, psychological uh, rage. I mean, it's just, kind of makes sense right you have these substances that are wreaking havoc on on the chemicals of your body and your brain and your hormones and your nervous system and when you pull that away things are not gonna act the way they normally do yeah yeah and now i should say i should really actually emphasize and you do a good job of this in the book as you start off saying look this is not doctor's advice yeah this is my story i mean i have my i have strong feelings but i also know people who have felt saved by the medication who have felt like it was a lifeline for them so and you obviously have to walk that line because you advocate for helping people deal with life either by getting off or without them but you don't obviously you're not on a mission to abolish them i mean the reality is that would be a fruitless mission (laughs) Uh, so i think it's much more productive to look at the landscape as is which is there are tens of millions, possibly even hundreds of million people, hundreds of millions of people around these drugs, on these drugs. Not everyone's going to want to be on them forever. We need to find better, safer, more productive ways to get people off of them. And that starts with information. So, right. you know, I, it doesn't matter if there's a lawsuit, the, these drugs are still going to exist. I mean, we right. watched what happened with the opioid crisis, you know, there's right. regulations on that and people are still dying of overdoses every day. So like, you know, <laughs> Well, and you made an interesting choice also, and I was kind of curious of what it was going to be when I started reading the piece, because you sort of have an opening chapter where you address the reader directly and sort of say, here's what here's what I'm about to do. But then you go into what I call just straight memoir. You really are just like telling the story and it reads sort of like a novel, but -hmm. in the first person. And so and this is something I coach people and usually it's around memoir writing. And one of the decisions I think almost every memoirist has to make is am I writing a personal growth book? Mm-hmm. Or am I just telling a story? Because you could have gone either way. Yes, I right? could have. Yeah. To I talk about really, the choice. 
Yeah, I made a conscious decision pretty early on in the process that I couldn't I couldn't do a personal growth book or a pop science book with any kind of authority because I don't have letters after my name. It wouldn't have mattered how many how much yeah. research I did, how many people yeah. I talked to, like because this is a topic that has to do with science. Medical science, yeah. yeah. That it was just a lot cleaner to be able to tell my story directly. Um, yeah. That said, I I would love for a pop science book about withdrawal in this topic to be on the market, and I would love to have a hand in that. But I would really want to co-write that with right. someone who is a, a pharmacologist or a researcher or a psychiatrist, just because there are aspects into this that really need that angle. Yeah, and I think it brings more authority with that angle too. If you're going to write that type of book, and so all right, so when you started the book, were you really sure it was going to be a memoir you just want to tell your story or were you not sure what it was well it was funny because when I started writing this book I was actually writing another book mm. I had had um I had had an agent from the cookbook I did who was and I was traveling at the time and she was like oh it was 2017 so she was like oh you know maybe you should like try pitching a travel memoir you know about your travels and I was just kind of like okay I didn't have anything else going on right. like, there, it was there was a there was some thought that maybe travel memoirs would still sell in 2017. I feel like it's dead now, but maybe in 2017. So I kind of just started writing this other book and uh, it was, it was about the, the choice to leave my life in New York and to, and to travel. And it, I kind of alluded to the antidepressant aspect of it, but it just really was about something else. And then that book, that agent, everything eventually went away within a few months when I was like, none of this is the right fit. No one here is the right fit. So I pretty much ditched everything involved. But then I had this draft of something. And right. in the meantime, what had started to happen is I think there was an article in the New York Times that had come out about how people, it was called many people on uh, antidepressants discover they cannot quit. And it was this big right. feature article about this exact problem. And I was kind of like, oh, this, if the New York Times is covering it, this, this is a much bigger topic than I initially thought it was. Like, I thought maybe I was like a super rare occurrence, but then right. I realized, no, this is much more pervasive. This is going to grow. That's the real story. That's the book I need to write. Right. And I was completely unemployed. So I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> let's just try and write this. And that's how I spent my next four years was working reading. on that book. Yeah. yeah. And you're unemployed. Now you, you have another profession besides writer. You are a chef. You actually one chopped. Yes. yes. I watched that show. I watched that show a lot, but I not recently enough to have seen you, but I don't think, well, maybe I did. I don't know. 2017 when it aired, you might've seen it. I might've seen it. Wow. So you, I, we could spend, this whole interview just talking about you, but we're not going to do that, but it just fascinates me. Um, but you, you, you had a cupcake making company. You were the yeah. co-founder of that. And so your first creative love, or your first professional creative love was cooking. Yeah. But writing must've been bubbling on the surface, uh, must've been mixed, so to speak in there. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that I, I grew up basically being told 
you you have the you know you have the soul of a writer you know you're gonna be a writer but it's weird the reason why is because my mother had my astrology read when i was like months old your mom's one of those all right (laughs) and apparently and i and i have this on tape i've listened to it now but apparently there's something in the way my chart is outlined that is very much a writer's chart so there was a lot of emphasis on that at the time and so i didn't know what i wanted to do for as a career ever. And even once I had, you know, I'd, I loved cooking. So I sort of fell into it as a career, but I really didn't want to be in restaurants, but I was in restaurants. So I wasn't happy. And so I was yeah. constantly, you know, lamenting about how I don't know what I want to do with my life. And my mom always just kept saying, well, you know, Mary, the astrologist said you have this tendency for writers, you know, try something there. And I'd always just like laugh because also on the antidepressants, I had no real creative urge. Like right. I, it was killing it. Yeah. I had no like desire to exercise any, any creative urge, especially something as difficult as writing. Yeah. Yeah. But then basically like as soon as I got off these drugs, like I had kind of fallen into a job doing some freelance writing work for a fitness website. So I'd started to exercise the muscle a little bit. Yeah. Then when I was traveling um, and I had, I was fully off the drugs, I just committed to writing 500 words a day as a very crappy journal. Like if you go back and read it now, it's mostly just me whining about like how hot things were or what right. I'm feeling like I gained five pounds because I was eating curry all the time. <laughs> There's not a lot of uh, good information in there. Um, but after doing that every day for a year, when this weird opportunity to pitch this irrelevant travel memoir came up, I had I had some false confidence in my abilities. And then once I wrote about 30, 40,000 pretty bad words, I was like, okay, I, I've read enough to know I need help here. And that's when right. I started going down a really serious, like, how do I how do I craft this book? Yeah. And then I found my voice, which is first person present. And I was like, this is not how most people write books, but this is working for me. And then it really started to flow and, and evolve. Yeah. It was really well told. Um, I I just, I, well, I I thought it was beautifully done and I could tell that from the get go. And so it just was very readable, very honest, very vivid, which, you know, memoir isn't always, but it really read, Great. And so, but it showed a lot of work. So you put a lot of work into it. You had to go back into it. And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So you, so 2001 is when you kind of, no, no, that was when you went on. So, okay. So this was actually, so this really the recovery in terms of memoir time is relatively recent because usually it's tough because you're writing about stuff that wasn't that long ago, really. Yeah. So when I started writing it, it was 2017. It was actually about around the year anniversary of the Yeah, that's still new. Yeah, yes. I was still struggling with withdrawal a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it took, it was four years of, of work. I'd say that four years of part-time work. I tend right. to work in spurts where I would dedicate a few months to working on it straight through and nothing else. And then I would need to go make money to pay bills. And so I'd go right. work a little bit and then I'd come yeah. back. And it also gave me that natural mental break. Right. Get away from the material. Um, but it went through, I mean... It, it felt really tough. I, I would, a part, part of me can't believe that I'm saying this is that like, I would love to write a book again because I want to see if it's easier this time. Oh, no, you know what? It's, it is a fair observation because yeah. clear, look at, you must've learned something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 
I'm more confident in what I know is like the right direction or the right voice, which I think is a, that probably took me three years to learn. Yeah. By the end, I was editing and rewriting sections in a day that beforehand might've taken me months to like figure out what was wrong with it. Right. Right. And so, all right. So you write this book and did you, cause you know, look, I, I write about my own life. That's what I write about. That's the subject matter that interests me most. Uh, <laughs> Sort of, sort of, as a metaphor for something else. But I always learn something. Often I learn something about life. Sometimes I learn things about myself. Yeah. I'm i sure you must have learned something beyond how to write a book when you wrote this book. God, I learned some hard lessons that I'm like not too thrilled with. Um, <laughs> that just, I feel like I'm really curmudgeonly and oh. <laughs> like, and that I really tried to I spent a lot of time writing this book trying to push that away in the sense of like I am precious when it comes to my writing schedule and like my writing environment and it's not even about okay yes you know if I write from like 8 to 11 every day that's all well and good but I also need a lot of structure and a lot of peace from 2 to 9 in the evening and winding down and I like I am very much a monk in that sense. And the people in my life were like, you're insufferable. No, like, you can't do this without. You have the soul of a writer. That's the soul of a writer, which is leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy being alone. Yes, that is exactly what it is. And like it, it put a huge strain on my relationship. Like it put a huge strain on how and where I'm going to live. I mean, I talk a lot about the noise sensitivity that occurred during antidepressant withdrawal. And that's the one thing that still kind of sticks with me. It's literally dictated where I live, which again, has put a huge strain on like, again, I had a relationship that basically ended over this and like, I'm sorry about that. I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not, it was, it was a lot. We tried, like I tried everything and it just was like, if I have to choose between my work and this, I chose my work. All right, because- listen, here's what you got to do. <laughs> do what I did. I married another writer. And so she goes, I go totally understood. Go in your cave. Everyone's happy. Oh my gosh. He was, he's a writer too. He was an academic. Oh, uh, different. But yeah, different. <laughs> the issue was that like, I didn't want to shut things off when I was done writing at 11. Like right. I needed, I still needed to be alone and have all this processing time. Yeah, sure. In the off times. And he was like, well, I mean, I live here. It's like, right. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So the books come out and, but this is a, a book that um, like a lot of memoirs, but in particular, you're going to have some, Con- interesting conversations. I would suspect people who come to the readings and so on are people that have dealt with it or getting off it or know somebody and so on. So I would suspect there's been a lot of conversations, maybe some pushback, maybe some anger. I don't know. How's it, how's it gone? You know, it's funny because when I, I wrote an article for the Washington Post in January of 2020, mm-hmm. that was basically a condensed version of what the book turned into be. And I had far more pushback then right. than I have now. I have almost no... I actually... I mean, fingers crossed. I have not gotten any pushback yeah, so yeah. far because I think finally I don't look like the crazy one in the room. Right, right. Well, it has changed. <laughs> I have a theory about that. I didn't read the, the the Washington Post article, but there is in that format and particularly in periodicals. See, mm-hmm. with this book, you just told your story. And one of the beautiful things about just telling your story is there's nothing in a way to argue with. Like, this is what happened. There's also like, no if- comment section. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, 
I, I did this piece in the New York Times and I got some nice comments and then I got a couple of wackadoo ones where I'm like, yeah. God, you people. But yeah, yeah. And, and people feel very strongly about medication in certain ways as a kind of lifeline to whether they even take it or not to just, yes. I don't know what. I've been rejected from from platforms who won't let me tell my story because they themselves have had a positive experience, which I wow. find to be really interesting because it's like, you know, I'm not coming out here saying your choices are wrong. I'm saying this right. is what happened to me, right? And right. the fact that there's there's a there's a cohort of people out there who will shut down other voices because I mean, I mean, what am I saying? Of course this happens. It happens all the time and yeah. all everywhere, yeah. but it feels really interesting to me in this in this in this situation because we have so much evidence of people who struggle to get off of these drugs and who are not doing well on them. And then yeah. to have someone who's like, oh well, you know, I'm not gonna let you write for my millions of readers because I I take it. I don't want like, yeah, yeah. To me, I'm like, that's that's an interesting choice because I bet your millions of readers, not everyone is doing as well as you. So Right. It's a kind of religious, it's almost kind of a religious. Oh. belief system i think again i don't you know i can tell listeners i sure some of you are using it, and if it's working it's fine it's a tricky subject because people feel very strongly about it one way or the other it's there's fewer neutral people on the subject it seems like well and also the big thing is there's a couple things with this topic is one is that you know there's there's no long there's not a single long-term study uh, on long-term use of antidepressants so most of them are tested over an eight to 12 week trial. They're designed oh. for six to 12 months at, at maximum, and then you're supposed to be done with them. And so people very often see a little bit of, you know, a boost or help in the beginning because either there's there's a strong correlation with the placebo effect on these drugs. Huge, I would and, think. Huge, yeah. And if they are seeing clinical benefit, which is shown to be about 15% of people, then they're most likely to see it in, at the beginning. And then over time, that tends to decrease. So right. if, if you have, you know, if you've got a bunch of people, like 10 people in an office who all went on these drugs, and let's say a third of them do great, a third of them are normal or or have no effect, and a, yeah. and a third are bad, well, the people who are bad can't show up to work. So they've left. The people who right. are neutral aren't saying anything one way or another. But then you've got the three positive people who are just talking up right. a storm about how right. wonderful these things are right. leading everybody else to believe that it's all great for everyone despite the fact that two-thirds of people are even having are either having no immediate effect but then they could have withdrawal effects and they try and get off them or those three people who are now in disability right, right. so loud voices you know get the most get the most attention yeah. combined with the fact that it's a really nice story that we can write 500 word clickbait clickbait articles on for very well health. So right, right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you told the story. I think that it's because you know, because you've now gone on to work dealing with happiness. And you know, it's yeah. funny because I do I, I coach writers. I just did a bunch of writers' conferences. And really what I do is I deal with their emotional health because mm -hmm. there's so much fear and despair and uncertainty in writing. And so I that's what I deal with. That's what I coach about far less than the craft of writing. I'm just interested in people keeping their sanity <laughs> around the writing game. And, and now you've kind of branched into that as well. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, you know, I still work as a chef to pay my bills, but I 
I would love to one day be able to support myself doing, you know, talking about this topic or teaching or, you know, consulting or just helping people kind of be better humans and learn the skill of happiness is the way I like to call it. Because, you know, I think, like I said, at the top of this is, you know, we've been doing this antidepressant psychiatric drug thing for you know, starting in the 1950s, but more in a more modern way, starting in the 80s and 90s. So we've got decades of evidence now and objectively it's not going well. Right. So we're either going to keep going down a path that's going to get worse and worse, or people need to start turning inward and finding their inner compass and start fixing their own lives and their own world, which is a really difficult thing to do, especially if you don't live in a great situation or that's yeah. it, it is but I, the idea that you are not equipped to live your life that we are not born equipped to cope with being human which will involve fear and will involve depression like you will yeah. be sad you will not you will feel yeah. hope if you're a writer you for sure <laughs> i will tell you at the end of a day when it didn't go well i'm like why am i here well what i mean even, even once you complete the goal right I right mean, it's been harder to have the book out in the world Oh, really? That for me than it was to actually write it. I mean, there was like acute despair and the writing process and the fear of it not selling and stuff. Sure. But then when it's out there and it's like, well, no one's listening. Right. I just spent five years of my life. Like, you know, that's been really hard for me to deal with. Um, But you have more tools now than you did four years ago. I've got more going on. and And that's the thing. I'm aware of like, Okay, I'm feeling what some people would call. I mean, I don't. I don't even want to call it depression because that makes it. Yeah, I know. It, it's a completely appropriate reaction to many situations that have occurred in my life over the past few months. So if I'm having a reaction to that, I know that this is appropriate, and I know what the signs and the triggers are that make me feel worse. And I. That is that was all learned through withdrawal for me because it was such an intense experience and almost like a survival experience where I had to be really in tune with what I needed in every moment. Otherwise, like I wasn't going to make it. So I learned so much so quickly. And now I'm just kind of like, well, I'm, you know, I guess a little bummed out a lot of the time, but that's reasonable. I mean, that's human. That is human. We you sometimes. I always tell my students, like you, if you ever sit down writing and you think I'm no good, you will be depressed in that moment. Like you will never feel good thinking that ever. It's guaranteed. The same as it hurts your hand to touch a hot stove. Like yeah. it just, it's just like science. So yeah. good for you. Uh, you know what? If you want to make a living helping people, I think you will. I think you will, Brooke. Working on it. <laughs> yeah. You got, pl- you're going to do it. All right. So listen, th- uh, I'm so glad I got you on the, show and uh yeah. i think i think your book is great and i think you're pretty great but uh, i'm not quite oh so if you want to learn about you it's brookseem.com is that what it is yep. s-i-e-m yep b-r-o-o-k-e-s-i-e-m yeah you can learn she's got you know you can hire her you can read oh, this it's a great yeah. website go check it out um <laughs> all right but i got one more question for you and so i want you to think about this Think about all the writing, just writing period, whether it's this book or the cookbook or your, uh, your, you know, your essays, if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? It's taught me what it feels like to be in the flow, Ah, which, which is really a cool thing to then look at the rest of your life and feel that like, 
I want to spend time with people who make me feel like I'm in the flow or I want to do entertainment or like if if I feel the way with people or the way I am in my life when the time just goes and I'm so focused and I'm writing, like that's when I know I'm on the right track to something that's good for me. Oh my God, you are speaking my language. <laughs> this is what I teach. This is what I say to people. I want to live what it feels like to write. That's the my entire yeah. goal now. Right, which I mean like- It's not easy. Not that it, every day is a good writing day. And yeah. it's just more of that, it's that focus and that clarity and the- the fact that it never occurs to me to look at my phone. Right. It's complete engagement yeah. with what I'm doing. And I only like the most intense way I've ever felt that is writing a little bit cooking, but really writing. It's just different. Yeah. Oh, you got the soul of a writer. Brooke, Brooke. <laughs> the, the astrologer was right. She was right, man. Hey, she was right. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Yeah, see, isn't that funny? I mean, maybe not funny to you, but to me, I have been thinking about this. It's been a passion of mine. I want to live as I write. In other words, I want writing is such a great mindset to be in, that flow state. I want to live that way. And see, she did too. She's got the soul of a writer. She does, she does. Ah, that was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. The flow, baby, you got it. The flow is what it's all about. It's where all the good stuff happens. Writing's a great place to practice it. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Stay happy. If you can't, do your best. Get in that flow, because when you're in the flow, you're happy. Whew. Yes, you are. That's where it's all. It's where the good stuff happens. And you know how you get into the flow? You do something you love. That's right. That's how you do it. So, as always, go find something you love to do and do it. Do it.